Now, as we are at this place in John chapter 18, uh, if you're new, uh, we have been going through Jesus's life. And here we are towards the end of the book of John and uh, he's been arrested. We know that he's about to go to the cross. And last week we looked at, as he's standing trial uh, with the Jewish religious leaders, uh, we see that Peter denies him three times. Uh, Just a rough section of scripture to read. and, And your heart just goes out to Peter as essentially his failure is put into the inspired word of God. And, and so we looked at that. We, uh, we also obviously are confronted with our own fears. And I think a lot of times our fears actually surprise us because we've never labeled them as that. And, and so we walked through that last week. And then here we are now, he's, he's stood before the Jewish religious leaders and they have condemned him to death. Uh, and, and now he's being brought uh, to the civil trial in front of Rome. And so in verses 28 through uh, 32, we'll kick off with that in John chapter 18. It says this, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Okay, so uh, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin has just voted to condemn Jesus. Those officers immediately take Jesus to the governor's headquarters uh, where Pilate was staying during this Passover season, this Passover celebration when all these people uh, from around the world were there in Jerusalem. And so it was a place where the governor uh, of Rome would be uh, or of that district would be because there were a lot of uprisings. This was a great opportunity for a riot uh, that that could happen uh, due to Jewish nationalists. And so they were there um, obviously to to protect the Roman Empire, to make sure nothing happened. And and so the Jewish leaders bring Jesus before uh, Pilate. Now, what's really interesting here is that Jewish leaders had ceremonially cleansed themselves in preparation for the Passover meal. And so they couldn't go into a Gentile's home because if they went into the place where a Gentile was staying, they would be considered defiled. They would be defiled and then unable to participate in the rest of the Passover Passover festival. Guys, they were warped, aren't they? And you just sit there and you go, what? So, so the Jewish religious leaders expected to please God through their physical separation from a Gentile house while at the same time illegally murdering the son of God. So they avoided any ceremonial defilement but cared nothing about the moral defilement that came from condemning the son of God to death. One uh, theologian uh, writing about this text uh, 
wrote, nothing is more common than for persons overzealous about rituals to be remiss about morals. See, the question we have to ask, because once again, you look at this, you go, that's ridiculous. <laughs> How in the world uh, could they get, get so caught up that they could, they could literally in their minds think that we're doing something spiritual, we're honoring God, we're not being defiled by this Gentile house so that we can, can remember and celebrate the Passover. Uh, and, and yet they're so warped that in their mind, they're pleasing God and yet they're condemning wrongfully the son of God. And so, and so here we are uh, stuck once again going, how could they do that? But the question we have to ask ourselves uh, is, are our own religious rituals overshadowing our own morals? See, are we basing our righteous or our view of a right standing before God, are we viewing that based upon our ability or our performance when it comes to religion, when it comes to uh, what we think we're supposed to do, right? Because that's what they were doing. Okay, now you may not be like, hey, I can't enter your house. Uh, you're a Gentile, so sorry. You may not do that, but we're doing other things, right? We're, we're qualifying our standard before God. We're qualifying our acceptance to God by what? By, by religious things, by, by things we think if we do a certain amount of times or consistently, uh, if I just pray this much, if I, if I read this much, if I go to church this much, and, and some of us were like, man, I'm, I'm really doing well. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm also all, all these podcasts and they're Christian podcasts. I mean, God, look. And, and, and the reality is this, what we start to do is we start to create this qualification for what it means uh, for me to be right with God for me to be honoring God. And, and while we've created what that list needs to include and what it needs to look like, uh, we all of a sudden find ourselves consumed with that to the point where we don't even notice that our morals don't line up with what we're presenting. Where, where because I pray every day, that gives me an excuse to treat my kids like trash. Because I go to church, I can go to work the next day, but I went to church and I can be lazy. My coworkers can hate me. My attitude can be wrong, but I went to church. And so, and so what we start to do is just like them, we start to literally um, think that we're right with God. Everything's great with God because of these pieces that we're adhering to when in reality, our morality is far from God. When in reality, there's things that we're doing, we're saying that are so far from him, but because we have justified uh, ourselves based upon these things, then we're saying it's okay because I'm doing this and this, this is bigger than that. And you know what? I'll tell you what, <laughs> when the world looks at that, that's the world's problem with Christianity 
is they're seeing a bunch of people highlight uh, their performance, uh, their prayer time, their Bible reading time, their attendance, even though attendance right now is rough around the country. And, and we're highlighting though what we do and we're projecting something uh, that, that we're saying is of God, is religious. And everybody else who doesn't believe is looking at us and going, I don't want your life because your morality is awful. How you talk is awful. How you act is awful. How you treat your spouse is awful. And so there's a disconnect there. And so just like them, we ourselves can get caught up in this warped reality where our, our, our religiosity is essentially trumping our morality. And if this is your problem, let's say, and maybe you are, you're brand new to church and the only reason you came here is they said, hey, we're going to a theater and, and you're here. And, and maybe you've had an issue with Christianity, maybe your whole life, maybe it's because of, of the things you've seen. Um, first, I always say this, I'm sorry. But then second, that's my problem with religion as well. See, there's a reason we preach about a relationship here. See, when... When we talk about Bible reading, uh, I want to read my Bible because of my relationship with Jesus. So that's why I read it. I don't read it to, uh, I don't get up in the morning and go, man, I'm gonna impress the church. Look at that. Oh, I'm gonna impress my wife. I'm gonna impress my kids. Look at, look at this. I'm, I'm gonna go to work and I'm gonna share some things. Whew. Like, no, I, I need this because of the relationship. I don't, I don't pray to God out of, out of this like, oh, I have to do it. No, I do it because of the relationship I wanna have, because of the priority of that relationship. I, 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 I don't go to church because I have to. I don't go to church like, well, I better. No, I go to church because I, I want to, because I love Jesus and Jesus asks me to go. And I meet him here and it's incredible. And I see the value of it. You guys, there were two college students that showed up to the last gathering, 8.15, for those of you who didn't know, 8.15. And they drove an hour and a half to get here. We're like, Ooh. They told me that after the gathering, they're like, yeah, it was a little tough. We, we drove an hour and a half to get here. I'm like, to, to get here. Now they weren't saying that because they're like, <laughs> No, they wanted to be here. They wanted to be here. Nobody made them, none of their parents, nothing. They, they said, this is a priority because my relationship with God is a priority. I wanna I want obey him because of my relationship with him. And, and so you guys, when our relationship with him is right, uh, it takes the religiosity and it drop kicks it out because as we saw last week, his perfect love casts out fear. It casts out all this hypocrisy. And so we're not here and we're not pretending to be something. We're not reading this. So we hope to appear as something. We're not praying to God in order to impress him. It's all about this relationship that has transformed my life. And I want to grow and I want to cultivate that. And I want to show him that that relationship means more to me than absolutely anything else. Amen. That's what it's about. But when it's not about that anymore, we creep into this warped territory that they were living in. That's not us. That's not what we're called to do. And so Pilate then uh, kicks this thing off by asking them, as they bring Jesus to them, he says, what are your accusations against Jesus? What are your accusations against this man? 
And the Jewish leaders uh, likely have already communicated to Pilate about Jesus and the outcome they want to have. Why? They used all those Roman soldiers in order to arrest Jesus. So this is to them, this like, this like just rubber stamp of approval on what they've already decided, right? They're hoping for Pilate to just to sign off on this sentence, this death sentence for Jesus. The last thing they want is for this to go to trial. They wanted a death sentence and they wanted Pilate to be an executioner, not a judge. Why? Because they knew that their charge against Jesus, blasphemy, wouldn't hold up in a Roman court. So, so they, they, they kind of respond harshly to Pilate, don't they? You just pick up on this. They're like, listen, if he wasn't evil, we wouldn't have brought him here. We've already handled it. We've, we've judged him. Do your part now, essentially. And in Luke's account of this interaction, in Luke 23, 2, they actually then list their charges against Jesus. It says, and they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And so they've said this, but they've said this in a pretty negative way towards Pilate, like just do your job, sign off on this. And so Pilate uh, is like, okay, well, why don't you guys then go handle this yourself with your own laws? And they're like, because mm. they can't execute without Roman authority. And so they respond, hey, we can't do this. And as they're saying, we can't do this, this whole execution is lining up with what Jesus had prophesied about when he was talking about being lifted up uh, throughout the book of John, when it was talking about the kind of death he would have. In fact, in John 12, 32, uh, in one of those moments, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so he's talking about how he was to die. And if the Jews were able to kill him for capital punishment, it would have meant they would have thrown him down and stoned him. But because it was the Roman way, their capital punishment was through crucifixion. And so what you see here is God is sovereignly involved and in charge and in control of even Jesus's mock of a trial. Did you hear that? Even in that, God is in complete control. I, you may have been wronged this morning, okay? Likely if I said, who's been wronged? All of you that can talk would raise your hands. The only ones that couldn't are babies, right? But, but you, would, you would raise your hand. You've been wronged at some point. And so there's seasons you're gonna be wrong. There's seasons things are done or said that are unfair, whether it's to you, your family, your community, your nation, whatever it may be. And, and the reality is this, even in this mockery of a trial, we see God is in complete control, bringing about his perfect will. And it's aligning what he's, with what he's already prophesied about. And that gives us peace. So these three accusations, though, against Jesus, uh, you can see what they're going, right? They're trying to present this, this, this case to get him executed, right? I said last week, they're trying to figure out a way to legally murder him. And, and so all of these things are through this narrative of, hey, he's trying to overthrow the Roman Empire, 
right? I mean, what were the, what were the three accusations? Uh, he's misleading the nation. Ooh, big problem, right? Uh, but what, what do we see about, about Jesus and, and, and when it comes uh, to that? No, he blessed the nation, didn't he? In fact, when he was coming into Jerusalem, he was riding in on this donkey and they're praising him. They're, they're worshiping him. They're excited about him. The miracles, the renewed hope of the nation because of Jesus. So it's the opposite of what they're saying to Pilate. And then they say what? Well, he told us not to pay tribute to Caesar. We know you guys like your money. Jesus is saying, don't give money to Caesar. Now, it's like, are you kidding? Because earlier in Matthew chapter 22, they actually tried to trap Jesus. Jesus actually calls them hypocrites over this. They try to trap him into asking, should they be paying their taxes to Caesar? And, and, and Jesus responds in Matthew 22, and he, and he asks, well, whose image is on the coin? And, and, and then this is the interaction in Matthew twenty two twenty one. And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they went, oh, man. Some of you in this room are like, oh, taxes. <laughs> it's in there. And so he taught the opposite, right? They're literally saying the opposite. And Jesus is just sitting there, standing there. They talk about, oh, he, he's, he's proclaimed to be this Messiah, a, a king, a king, right? Yeah, he claimed to be a king, but not in a political sense. The Jewish leaders are doing whatever they can to build this case. And if it means bearing false witness, they are all in. If it means bringing fake witnesses in, that's what they'll do. They'll do whatever it takes to get him on that cross. And then we continue in John 18 and 33 through 38. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Okay, so, so Pilate uh, takes Jesus into his headquarters, which means what? It's just him and Jesus now, because they can't walk in there. And so he takes Jesus before him and he says, listen, are you the king of the Jews? Now, what is he trying to accomplish here? And Jesus, Jesus actually asks him, right? Uh, because what he's trying to identify is, is Jesus a political threat to the Roman Empire? That's what he's getting at. That's, that's where he's going. And so um, Jesus responds to his question by saying, hey, is this coming from you and what you've experienced or from what they've told you? In other words, are you asking from a Roman king standpoint or a Jewish Messiah standpoint. 
Okay, are, are, are you asking in relation to a threat, to a political threat to Rome? Or are you asking out of, hey, this could be the Messiah uh, from a Jewish perspective? And that's when Pilate snaps back and goes, do I look like a Jew? I am not a Jew. They brought you to me. Now, Pilate, understanding and knowing that this isn't adding up, in fact, in Matthew 27, 18, uh, it says, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. In other words, Pilate knows uh, that things aren't adding up because one, he knows that they brought Jesus to him because they were envious of Jesus. So he knows this. He knows that, that they envy Jesus's uh, influence, uh, his power, his authority, all these things they're envious of. So he knows that's a motivating factor, but he can't wrap his mind around just the, the, uh, the intense hate and desire to kill this guy that's associated with Jesus. So he's like, there's gotta be more here. And so, and so when, he's, when he's asking, what have you done? That's where it's coming from. He's like, what have you done? And so then Jesus responds, what? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And so Jesus is responding to his authority. His authority doesn't come from this world. His kingdom is not from this world. And so it doesn't respond and act like this world's kingdom does, which is what? Authority based upon uh, suppression, uh, based upon um, just wrath and violence. And so Jesus is like, my kingdom is nothing like that. If it was, then my people would have defended me and fought. But when you look at it, what happened? Actually, the one person that pulled his sword out, I said, holster it. Then I healed the guy that he hurt. So my kingdom's not of this world. It's not, it's not like Rome. It's, not, it, it, it's, it's different. Now, as you read those words, and if you're Pilate, what are you? You're confused, right? You just asked him, where's your authority coming from, uh, your kingdom? And, and, and this guy says, my kingdom's not of this world. You're like, what? What is happening, right? And so, and so in, in response uh, to being confused, he, he asks a clarifying question. So you are a king, <laughs> right? Like, give me something, man, I'm confused. So you're saying you're a king. And then I love what Jesus says, and it really connects with the time of year, doesn't it? Jesus tells him why he was born. Born, the birth of Christ. He's indicating his humanity. But he also says what? Why I came into the world. I wasn't in the world. I decided to come into it, which is what? His deity. And so what we see here is Christ um, declaring to him how he chose to enter into the world, being birthed into the world for a specific mission, but it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't to bring about uh, political transformation. It was about spiritual transformation. That was the mission of Jesus. 
It was to testify to the truth by proclaiming the gospel. In fact, in Matthew chapter four, after Jesus has been tempted, he, he goes out and he just starts teaching and preaching. And it says this in Matthew 4, 23, it says, and he went through all, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so he was out proclaiming the gospel just as before him, John the Baptist had been preparing the way, preparing the road for the gospel. John the Baptist had been saying, listen, repent, get ready. Uh, he's coming, uh, he's arriving and, 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 and you need to get ready. You need to get your heart. You need to get your life right. And then Jesus comes on the scene and what? I'm here. The Messiah is here. It's time, respond, receive this free grace of forgiveness. Receive this hope, this peace that will transform your heart and your life. Put your trust in me. And so here we are in this Christmas season, less than a week from celebrating what? His birth, his birth his decision to come here and take the shape and the form of this little baby so that he could bring the gospel to us and make it available so that we can be here and rent out a theater and celebrate him. And yet more and more, it seems that his message, his meaning, his mission is becoming more and more absent when we even talk about his birthday. We were uh, listening to Christmas music because I love playing Christmas music during the Christmas season. I actually think they should play it year-round at airports because it just would help because everybody's just mad. And Christmas music just gets us all chipper. So I feel like they should do that. Uh, you heard it here first. But... Um, We're playing Christmas music, and I don't know, there's these mixes on your apps that Christmas, right? My middle child looks at me yesterday, and, and, uh, and he's just sitting there, he's doing a craft or something, and, and I'm in the kitchen, he goes, Dad, can we, can we play some Christmas music with Jesus in it? Now, I just responded in my flesh, I said, it is. It was frosty, the snowman. <laughs> Right? I'm like, it is. And then I'm like, what is it? You know, because it's Christmas music. And I'm like, oh, man. And I, listen, I'm not hating on Frosty. That's not the point of the, the message here. So just relax, okay? Go build your snowman, have fun, dance, okay? But what I'm saying is, uh, what a powerful reminder. What a powerful reminder. He's like, hey, can we talk about Jesus at Christmas? Can we? And, and, and it just brought me back to, you know, Jesus is proclaiming his purpose, why he came. And he's talking about a kingdom, but it's not this kind of kingdom. We are so consumed with this kingdom, working out how I want it to, my family kingdom, my personal kingdom, my political kingdom, working out for me. And Jesus says, that's not why I came. 
So when we're here, and if we're gonna celebrate Christmas Eve, man, we better not just celebrate, oh my goodness, what a cute baby. No, it's the mission, it's the purpose, it's gospel coming to you and to me, being made available to you and to me, this mission that ended with him going to the cross for you and for me, him being obedient to the point of death so that you and I can celebrate from this position of redeemed, forgiven. You couldn't label yourself that. You couldn't have done that for yourself. But because of the birth of Jesus, we are able to celebrate that. And so we're confronted with what's the kingdom we're preaching about. Pilate, we see respond because Jesus literally tells him, I'm preaching the truth and those who are mine are gonna respond to my truth. And it's literally like an invitation for Pilate to respond and Pilate says, what? What is truth? Now, we don't know if he's just frustrated. Is he getting all deep here? But he reacts, what is truth? Guys, isn't it nuts? Truth is literally staring at him in the face as he says that. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. And so there he is for hundreds of years. Rome, the Greeks had debated, what is truth? They hadn't arrived and there's truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And it's staring at him in the face. And he responds, there is no guilt in this man. He doesn't deserve this. He is innocent. And then we see that he doesn't get the desired outcome from the crowd, right? We see that the chief priests and the crowd, they began to accuse Jesus even more. Uh, in Luke's account, in Luke chapter three, verse five, it says, but they were urgent saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. And so Pilate hears this. He's like, oh no, now there's a riot starting to form. This is not going well. That's the one thing I'm placed here to not allow to happen. So what do I do? And then they say, Said something and, and they talk about Galilee and he goes, wait a minute. And then in Luke 23, verses six through 12, this is what happens. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraigned him in splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. So he's like, wait, what did you say? Where was this guy doing that? Galilee, that's Herod's jurisdiction and Herod's in town. Send him to Herod. So he sends him to Herod. Herod's excited. This is Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great. This Herod is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. This is an evil, evil guy. He's the one who Jesus in Luke, I think 13, called a fox. And he is excited to finally meet and experience Jesus because he's hoping I'm gonna get to see a miracle. 
I'm gonna get to see something incredible. And so he starts to question Jesus and Jesus doesn't say a word, nothing. He's just silent. And so the Jews become more and more violent physically and in their accusations. And Jesus continues to just not speak. And so Herod uh, says, let's really mock him, clothes him up all special, like, like royalty to mock him and then sends him back to Pilate. Pilate thought it was so great that they became great friends as a result of their desire to mock Jesus. But Pilate's like, oh man, he's back. And so he, we read in Luke how he brings everybody together and he's like, listen, I've, I've questioned this guy. Herod has questioned him. We've looked through what you guys have said and we can't find any evidence of disloyalty on the part of Jesus. Definitely nothing deserving of death. And so he says, I will punish him and then let him go. I'll punish him and then let him go. Now, we're stopping here, but you guys know that that's not the end result, don't you? But that's where he's at, at this moment. He's like, no, this this guy's innocent. In fact, Herod, who's evil, agrees. He's not deserving execution. And so here we see Pilate confronted with what are you going to do with truth? What are you going to do with truth? And so just as Pilate is confronted with truth and, uh, and Pilate knows what he's supposed to do, right? He's confronted with it, and, and yet what is he unwilling to do? He's unwilling to respond accordingly to that truth. And, and, and why? Well, we see one of the reasons, man, he is being heavily influenced, isn't he? You guys, you, you can be heavily influenced out of walking in truth. Some of you have been heavily influenced into walking outside of truth. Some of you right now um, are totally different than you were, have a totally uh, different, uh, just honestly, honestly, a, a theology, a view of who God is. And, and, and God hasn't changed. He's unchanging. So who changed? Oh, me. Right? So, so, so he's unchanging. I'm, I'm constantly uh, changing. And so what I know to be true is... When we are confronted with truth and we know truth, the enemy one is gonna work in opposition to that and he knows what's gonna influence you and he knows what uh, not only is gonna influence you, but he knows your greatest temptation. He knows that for Pilate, his greatest fear is what? A revolt here. And so he's gonna play into that. He's gonna use other people to try and get Pilate to bend on truth, to try and bend on what he knows to be true. And here's the reality for some of us, maybe in this room or watching online. Guys, maybe you have gone through the motions and truth has been staring at you in the face. 
and you've just refused it. You know the story of Jesus. You know why he came. In fact, maybe even deep down, you would say, I kind of believe. But you've never responded to that truth. You've never made him Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've never asked him into your heart to forgive you of your sins and said, I'm gonna live for you now. And he's right there and you know it. Maybe today you respond to truth for the first time and receive him. Here's the other people. Maybe you've stopped responding. Maybe you stopped responding. Maybe you responded and, and, uh, and it was incredible and you started in this relationship with God, this journey, you were committed and then life, situations, relationships, addictions, all, whatever it may be, all these things, priorities, busyness, they, they just creep in. And so before you knew it, you just stopped responding altogether to truth. It was great for a season. In fact, you still think about that season and it, and, it, and, it, and it makes you feel good about where you're at today, even though you stopped responding. You don't respond to truth anymore. You hear it, it's good for them. It's good for your friend, all of that. But, but at your core, you're like, no, I, I'm doing my thing right now. Or you're just pretending uh, and, and deep down, you know. Now, I don't have to convince you. You know why? Because if you are a Jesus follower, you got the Holy Spirit in you. He's great at letting us know when we're not right with him, huh? And so if you're there, I know right now your insides are like, yeah, you're there. <laughs> it's not letting you go. It just doesn't, which I'm thankful for because that's his way of saying, come back and drawing us back. And so some of us have just stopped responding. And then there's others of us who have started to selectively respond. We're picking and choosing when we want to respond, right? Not now when, when that phone call, when we see on the phone call and, and, and let's just pretend and say it's Jesus uh, and maybe uh, you were just ignore, ignore. You're like, oh no, it's him again. Ignore like you do with other people maybe. But now it's, 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 it's actually in this place where, oh, I have a relationship with him when it's convenient. I will follow truth. I will walk in truth. I will be obedient to truth when it's convenient. And so now he's that friend, that family member that you'll pick up if what? It works for you. Oh, I'm in my car. I'm not going anywhere. I'll take this call. Hey, Except that's Jesus. That's your relationship with Jesus. You're about truth when it's convenient for you. You're about truth when it works out in your favor. You're about truth when you don't have to sacrifice something. You're about truth when it doesn't call you to go against what everyone else is doing. And so we then are the ones that are operating in this truth, but we're operating selectively. And you guys, God is not calling you to that. He's just not. Because when we start to go down that road, that's the very road that leads us to where, where everything's about religion. 
where we're content and feel good about doing just enough, and yet we're also content and okay with this just wreck of a life that we're living in right now. And that's just, that's not what he's called us into. That's not why Jesus came, right? He came to do what? To set you free so you could be free indeed, it says. That freedom only comes from a relationship with him. That freedom only comes when his truth supersedes the other truths. Uh, when, when, when his relationship with you is the priority over everything else, that's when you walk in that freedom, that hope, and that peace. And that draws us away from this religiosity because religiosity is gonna take you to a place that's disconnected from a relationship with Jesus. And I know more than anything, what the, world's, what the world needs is not a political transformation, it's spiritual transformation. And so you guys, here we are, it's in our face. What are we going to do with truth? What are you gonna do with truth? Let's pray.